exciting things are going on. As we drove in this morning, I had a sense of it Wednesday night when I came in. And it's been prophesied before. That there's coming a day, and I don't believe it's long, far out, where you're going to see these streets lined up with cars pouring in here because people are hungry for God's Word and for the presence of God. The tangible presence of God, the change. We sing songs about the, the chains were, are gone, we're set free, all these songs about freedom. But so many of us are bound up, even though we're singing, we're bound up by these things, and it's fear, and it's, it's temptations, it's addictions, and, the, the, and if we're bound up by them, how, many, how much of this community that's around us? It's a very affluent community, but I've worked with affluent people, and they're the most bound up people I've ever known. And, and God wants to set people free, but the power of the presence of God is what does that. And I can feel it building up. As Anita said, we're on the verge of some exciting things, so just get ready. God's preparing us to get ready for what He wants to do. He starts by preparing us so that we can handle what God wants to do. We sang this morning about the Holy Spirit's power being poured out, but what we're learning, what we're going to hear today is part of the preparation for that. Because God, if God just poured His power out on us right now, it would destroy us, the fullness of His power. He has to prepare us. He has to prepare holy vessels to hold Him so that He can work through us. Praise the Lord. Well, that's message number one, two probably. Let's pray. Father, we thank You today for Your goodness. Thank You for this beautiful day, for the wonderful, beautiful weather we've had. And Lord, we rejoice in you, whether it's cold and snowy, rainy, or whether the sun shines. But we sure do appreciate it when it's nice weather like this. And we thank you for this day. We rejoice in this day. We rejoice that we can come together freely and openly in this nation. For many of our brothers and sisters around the world today are gathering together literally at the, at the threat of their lives if they're discovered. And we still have the freedom in this land to come together and to proclaim the name of Christ and the Word of God and to worship openly together. And we don't want to ever take that for granted, Father. So thank you for this privilege, Father. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world that are in that situation, that you would continue to give them this boldness and the strength to finish what you've called them to do. And now we turn our attention to this service and this time. We thank you for the Word of God. The Word is alive, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce through to the vision of the thoughts and intents of our heart. And it's able to change us, Father. It's able to correct us. It's able to encourage us. It's able to breathe life into us. And we thank you for the precious Holy Spirit, for His presence in here, among, in us, and among us. And we ask Him to take this living Word and to breathe it into our hearts that we may see things in our hearts we may never have seen before or see them in a new way. Holy Spirit, go around our mind and get into our hearts and touch our hearts today with the living Word of Christ, the living Word of God, and help us to see what it is you've called us to be and where you've called us to go. And for this we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We began a series a while ago called Follow Me. And it's based on a scripture we're going to read in just a minute. It's our foundational scripture. And the way I generally work is I have an overall theme, in this case it's follow me, and then I have subsections of that under it, of parts of this. And so Jesus in Mark chapter, Matthew chapter 16, uh, they'll put that up there, Matthew 16, 24. 
Jesus says to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now what we began in this series to look at is there are many complications and things that get thrown at us as Christians. There are many teachings out there, I mean, the, the, what's out there on YouTube and the internet, and it's just streaming all over the place. And there are many good things, but it can be so confusing. What's God saying? And then you hear them contradict each other. I love that. The Lord of Lords saying this, and this guy says the Word of Lords, and they directly contradict, well, God doesn't contradict himself. And as I was wrestling with some of these things and began to pray, I felt the Lord tell me, go back to the basics. What did I say? What did I say for you to do? And I went back to just begin the, when Jesus first called his disciples, and all he called them to do was to follow him. That's simple. And we talked for a while about how simple that is, but how profound that is, and how difficult that is, because we get so easily distracted by so many other issues. And Jesus simply said, follow me. If you follow me, I'll get you where you need to go. If you try to figure out where it is and how to get there, you'll get lost. Simply follow me. That's all he said. And we saw that the disciples left everything and immediately followed him. And he didn't tell them where they were going. He didn't tell them what required. He didn't say, we're forming an organization. I'm starting a new church. He just said, it's a personal relationship. I'm calling you to follow me, Jesus. And then gradually, he began to reveal to them what that involved. And there's a section where Peter, uh, Jesus asked them, have, have, who do see people say that I am? And, and they say, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're the prophet. And he said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, you didn't figure that out yourself. But my Father revealed that to you. And then Jesus explains what he's got to do, what he's going to go through. And we'll look at that a little more. And he says to the disciples after that, that he's going to go and to the cross. He said, if, he said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Now Jesus is revealing to them, if you're going to truly follow me, there's some things you've got, steps you've got to go through in order to follow me, because that's where I've gone, and that's where I'm going. So to follow him means we have to go through, we have to go where he goes. And we have to go through what he goes through. And so now he's explaining to this them. And Peter has a reaction to this. He said, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is, this is, that doesn't make any sense and rebukes Jesus for saying he's going to go suffer and die on the cross. And Jesus' response was not to Peter, it was to get behind me, Satan. And Jesus says, because you're using man's idea about this, not God's idea. And Satan's the one that works through man's ideas about what we should do, not God's idea. We're going to see more clearly as we've looked at this. So we began to look a few weeks ago, what does he mean by deny himself? for the word to deny ourselves. And we've talked about what it does not mean. It doesn't mean you lose your personality. It doesn't mean you kill yourself, you know, you hang yourself, or that you nail yourself to a cross. It, that would almost be easier. It means when you recognize that you've been one, joined and made one with Christ, to deny yourself is to deny yourself the right to think, to speak, or to act as if you're separate from Him. I've got my rights. No, you don't if you're a Christian. If you're in Christ, His rights are your rights. 
You don't have your own independent rights. You can't make your own independent judgment about how I handle a situation if you're in Christ. If you're in Him, you have to use His judgment about that situation. That means we no longer have the right to judge people, Christians or non-Christians, on our own. You deny yourself the right to do that. That's what it means to deny yourself. And then we began to look at the next thing he says, if that's not hard enough, take up our cross and follow me. And so that's what we're talking about. What does it mean to take up our cross? And we looked at, at the, 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 the whole, for our first reaction, and why you don't hear much preaching about this, is when you start talking about denying yourself, you're not going to draw a huge crowd with that. But then you go to take up your cross. That doesn't sound like fun. That doesn't sound like, oh, brother, we're blessed. That doesn't sound like a message of victory and blessing. And just, but it's, the, it's what Jesus said. Now remember, we've looked at this when we talked about denying ourselves. You have to look at this through the perspective of who this is that's saying this to us who it is that's calling us to do this. This is somebody that loves you more than you'll ever begin to love yourself. This is someone that loves you so much, he was willing to do this for you so that you could be free. And now he's calling us to walk in the freedom that he's paid for, but the pathway to that freedom is to deny yourself and to take up your cross. So the one who's calling us to do this has our best interest at heart. So somewhere, if we look at this and we say, I don't want to do that, that doesn't make sense, and the one who loves us and died for us says, this is what you must do, he sees something we don't see. So are we willing to trust him and to follow what he says when we don't like it and it doesn't make sense to us because we believe he knows what's best for us? Can we trust Him, or are we going to take our own lives into our own hands? We were singing the song earlier about the Spirit of God coming and empowering us, and what went off in my heart is He can't do that until we do this. He can't do what He wants to do until we do this. Now, you won't master that in this life, but we've got to begin to do it, to set this as our goal. And so this is what we've talked about up to this point. We also talked about in the kingdom of God, the way God's character and nature is, is that, that, that God's love is so unselfish. God is love, you know that, right? But God's love is so unselfish, this is what Romans 5 is about, that He was willing to come and take flesh. A holy God was willing to come and become one of us and then take our sin upon himself. Ungodly ones, that's what Romans 5 says. For God demonstrates, present tense, his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Elsewhere in Romans it says, the just for the unjust. Further down in Romans 5, we were his enemies. He died for his enemies to redeem them and give them what he had. That's the kind of love that God has. And that's the kind of only kind of love that redeems and saves and sets free. 
And that's the kind of love that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says never fails. And so we've talked about that a little bit, but now we're going to look at what does this mean for us. So the foundation for understanding this, this will take several weeks to go through this. Notice what Jesus says. He said, anyone who desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up, look at that three-letter word, his cross. See, when we first hear that, many of us who have been around for a while, if you're alive and have been around for a while, we've seen pictures, and many of you were raised in a church that had a picture, an image of Jesus still, still on the cross. He's not still on it. But it gave you the image of him. So we have this image that, that the cross were to take up is to literally go somehow and die, physically die. Now it's possible it could involve that. But, but we have this religious concept of what a cross is. So when we hear Jesus say this, that image we have been formed in our mind causes us to react to it either by being repelled by it or saying, I couldn't possibly do that. So we're going to tear it apart a little bit, break it down, and see what it, Jesus is saying. Because He's not saying, take up my cross. Right. I want that. That's why the title of this is, My Cross. He's not saying, go take up... Jesus is not saying, take up His cross. He's saying, there's a cross for you. That's the one you're to take up. So the beginning is understanding we're not talking about a wooden cross that has nails on it although there's a way outside possibility that might happen to you, but that's not likely the cross that you're going to have to take up. So there's some cross, or it can be more than one, that's assigned to you. And it's not that God's sitting up there saying, oh boy, who am I going to get with a cross? What we're going to see today is where God's called us to go has opposition. And that opposition... God has ordained a way to handle it, which is the same way Jesus handled it, and it involves some things we'll have to go through. So, let's talk a little bit Let's talk a little bit about what it's not. Because religion tells us that Whatever you're going through that's difficult, that's your cross to bear. Anybody ever, you ever hear somebody say this? Well, this is just my cross to bear. And usually they're looking at their husband sitting next to them. <laughs> or their wife on the other side. <laughs> well, the cross to bear is not your spouse. Amen. It's not your boss. Amen to FCC staff. It's not your boss. So if you've, I mean, I've worked for some very ungodly men, and that was not my cross. It's not sickness and disease. It's not some trouble you're going through. It's not that teenager that's lost their head somewhere and going into insanity that's troubling you. It's not a person. It's not some issue in your life. It's not some difficulty in your life. In fact, many of the difficulties in our lives we caused. So that's what, what he means by your cross. It's not sickness and disease. 
In fact, there, the, the, Jesus says he's using himself as an example. So the cross has to be, your cross has to be something that's like something he went through. Because we're following him, and that following requires us to take up a cross just as he took up a cross. Well, Jesus wasn't sick. He wasn't afflicted with cancer. He wasn't afflicted with sickness and disease. So that cross cannot be cancer or sickness and disease. Now, if you're dealing with some serious sickness and disease, God can use what you're going through to lead you somewhere, but He didn't give it to you to do that. So it's not sickness and disease. It's not some person. It's not some struggle you're having with your life. It's not, it's not a weakness in your life. If you're struggling with some addiction, whether it's alcohol or pornography, that's not your cross to bear. That's the devil <laughs> and your flesh. And there's victory over those things. And when we're finished with this, you're going to wish the cross was something like those things. <laughs> but when you hear what it is, it's going to hit you home because it's right where we live. Everybody okay? Yeah. Now there's a section in Scripture, we're not going to look at it today, where Paul talks about this, and it's in Philippians 3. This whole pattern is in there. Paul's talking about his own journey. And at the end of it, he says, as many of you have the same attitude, you're mature. And if not, God will reveal it to you. Because this is, we're talking about growing up as a Christian. Not coming to be spoon-fed, not coming to be... To the church t today in the United States and in other parts of the world... Is, is back where Hebrews talks about, by now you ought to be teachers when you're still babies and all you do is drink milk. There's a video I'm, I'll show you at some point, by, I mentioned it Wednesday night, by Francis Chan. Anybody know who Francis Chan is? Whoa, you guys need to know who Francis Chan is. All right, he doesn't mince words, but he speaks right out of the Word of God. Wrote a book called Crazy Love, which I picked up because, hey, I'm going to find out how much God loves me. No, it was dealing with how much I love God. Whoa. Very challenging, but the Word of God is challenging. He comes out on stage in his conference with a baby bottle in his mouth. And he stands there for a while, and he said, You suck. How could you say that? He says, You're like babies still sucking on the milk of the Word expecting everybody else to take care of you and to feed you instead of you learning to grow up and become teachers of other people. And it's because we're living in a culture that's all about what am I getting out of it. We're living in a culture that's all about how I feel. And if it doesn't feel right, because a year or so ago, I took you through what postmodern is, the philosophy that's in the world today. It's crazy. It's irrational. And it's everything's based, the foundation of it is, is, is truth and reality is, what it, is what's real to me. And I mentioned to you several weeks ago about two prominent Christian leaders, influencers, one that wrote a very famous book on, on dating and another that's one of the main writers for, for one of the major music ministries in the world, and they walked away from their faith because it doesn't feel real to them anymore. I can't tell you the times it doesn't feel real to me. I don't wake up every morning feeling married. Do you? 
I don't wake any, up every morning feeling anything except where's the coffee? But it doesn't change what I believe. It doesn't change what I do. And so we're in a culture that's all based on feelings and emotions and it's, it's, it's an epidemic in the church. So we sit in church. I'm off my notes. We sit in church and we decide whether that's truth or not for us even though it's Scripture based on how I feel about it. And so we're subject to what the Bible calls winds of doctrine, just blowing people around by how they feel, and there's no foundation, there's no solidity to it. Jesus said in the end of the Sermon on the Mount, He used the parable of two builders. They each build a house. Same plans, same materials, same contractor. The only thing was different was what they built the house on. One of them built the house on sand, the other built the house on rocks, and when the storm came, the building that was built on sand was destroyed and the other one was saved. And Jesus explained why. He said, He who builds his house, who, he who hears my words and my words and does them will be somebody that built their life. The house represents your life on a foundation that's the rock, no matter what winds come against you, no matter what storm comes against your life, you will stand solid because you built your life on God's Word and on doing God's Word. The other man built his house on how he felt and how the music was today and how I feel today and whether people smiled at me today and whether my kids are obeying me or whether, this is the big thing, this just isn't working for me. What if God looked at us and said, you know, Faith Christian Center, this isn't working for me. He'd have every right to do this because I'm sure it's not working for Him for the fullness of what He wants to receive from us and what we're doing. But God doesn't look at us and say, I'm sorry, this, this is what happens in marriages today. They enter into a... Oh boy, am I off today. They're entering into a blood covenant before God. I understand many of you are divorced. This is no... Con- I'm not dealing with that. I'm talking people that are. A blood... Co- I can't tell you the times that Satan came to destroy this marriage. Very close once. And I remember so clearly some intense discussion we had where we didn't see things the same way. And I stormed out of the house and I got off in my car and then God began to talk to me. And I had this picture in my head of a Volkswagen. The little Beatles, remember the the old ones, okay? With both of us in there and the doors locked. And we can't unlock them. And God says, you work this out or you kill each other. That's what He was telling me. He was telling you can't get out of this because you made a commitment before me that you would stick this through. And that turned things around. But see, we made a commitment to God. When you came, you, what's the expression we use? When I gave my life to Christ... Those words just flow so easily off our tongue, don't they? When I, gave, when I gave my car keys to Christ, when I gave Him a $10 bill to Christ, no, we gave our life 
to Christ. So Paul reminds the Corinthians, if you gave your life to Christ, it's no longer yours. Oh, we're flowing today, aren't we? This is not on my notes at all. That's the heart of the notes, but it's not in the notes at all. We don't want to hear this stuff. We want to come and be blessed and, and hear about victory and, and how God wants to make us wealthy and do all those things. And there's truth in those things, but that's not the heart of the gospel. I've got to go on because this is going to get better. <laughs> yeah. There are three areas that I believe God showed me where we're going to encounter our crosses. And we're only going to get into one of them today. The, 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 the next one's the, the real fun one. The first is our relationship with the world. The second is our relationship with other people. And the third is our relationship with God Himself. These are in the notes if you want to download them. So let's talk about our relationship with the world. How does, what, what crosses can we be called to bear in our relationship with the world? Well, to understand that, we have to know first of all what we mean by the world and, what, and why there's a conflict here. By world, I don't mean the globe that we're sitting on. I mean a system. When, when, well, we'll get into it a little later on. It's the, it's the, way, it's the way the world thinks. It's the, what you hear on television, what you get in schools. Our society is so saturated with methods of thinking. Paul calls them in 1 Corinthians 10, 2 Corinthians 10, uh, calls them strongholds. Strongholds. King James calls imaginations, which literally means systems of thinking that oppose, that stand in the way of the knowledge of God. So there are systems of thinking in the world today. Patterns of thought. Worldviews that are literally designed and from Satan to oppose the knowledge of God in the world. And when I was first saved and even went to Bible school, I kind of read but t- by faith, but today you can see it, you can feel it. The spiritual atmosphere out there is angry at us, and we'll see why today. So it refers to the way, ways of thinking, it refers to the values of the world, and notice how fast they change, because there's no absolute standard to measure them by. The values of the world, the systems of the world, the, the uh, ways of thinking of the world, what's accepted and what's not accepted, the whole philosophy is now toleration. And that sounds so Christian, doesn't it? Toleration. Well, you're not tolerant. Toleration is an excuse for doing what I want to do. like your two-year-old coming up to you when you say, they say, I don't want to clean my room. And you say, you've got to clean your room or there's no dessert. Well, you don't tolerate me, Mom. That's right, I don't tolerate insubordination. There's certain things I don't, we don't tolerate. We shouldn't tolerate. 
It also refers to the possessions of the world, the things of the world, the riches of the world, when, we, when they become the source of our value, of our meaning, and of our security. God gives us all things richly to enjoy, James says, I think it's James, but, but, but not to control us, not to become a substitute for Him. The first commandment that God gave to Israel is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of bondage. You shall have no, no, you shall have no other gods before me. But here's the problem. The world that we're born into is in rebellion against God. It's in rebellion against His authority, it's against rebellion against His value, and it's in rebellion against His ways. That's why they want to get rid of God. Because... And the rebellion is rooted in the rebellion in heaven when Lucifer rebelled against God and was kicked out of heaven. Because when he was kicked out of heaven, he fell to the earth and brought his rebellion with us, with him. And then he brought that rebellion into the garden to see if he could tempt man to enter into, participate in his rebellion. And we know that he did. So the rebellion in the world was birthed when Adam and Eve disobeyed God's simple, plain, uncomplicated command. Do not eat the fruit of that tree. Nothing to discuss, nothing to debate, clear cut, simple. Oh, I don't dare go there, Lord. <laughs> it's another sidetrack. <sighs> Satan's the one that wants to complicate. God's Word. God's commandments are simple when you decide you're going to obey them. Until you decide you're going to obey Him, it becomes complicated because your mind is always trying to figure some way around it or to postpone it. Well, what does that really mean? What What does God really mean there? As long as I'm debating what it means, I'm in my head and I don't have to obey it. That's like my mother saying, you have to eat those two Brussels sprouts. Well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by eat? Do I actually have to swallow them or can I just chew some of them? I mean, this is what our mind does when she just said, eat them. (laughs) You'll know when you've eaten them. You'll know when you've obeyed God's Word. And that means we'll know when we haven't. Because there's unrest. There's no peace. All right, that was the rabbit trail. So Satan comes in to tempt to bring us to rejoin this rebellion. Jesus came to win back what Satan stole. And the, 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 the crux of this is in Genesis 3.15. I was seeing something I've never seen before when I was looking at this morning. This is now they've fallen, they've rebelled, they've sinned. God shows up and He brings accountability, which He always will. There's always an accountability to God for what He's told us to do. It may take a thousand years for us to become accountable, when we, but there will be an accountability. And here's what He's now, first of all, speaks it to the serpent. And I will put enmity. What's that word? Enmity. That's anger. 
That's, 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 that's enemies. I will make enemy between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. You and I, when we were born into this world, we were Adam's seed. We were descendants from Adam. So we were born into rebellion. So you don't have to train a two-year-old to say mine or no. They just, it's an instinct that comes out of them as they become aware of themselves as a person and that they're separate from you. Their fallen nature comes out with one two-letter word, no. And we were born into His seed. But God is announcing that He's going to send another seed born of a woman. And this is obviously Jesus. And there will be enmity between the seed of Satan through mankind and the seed of this woman who is the Son of God. There's a natural enmity. There's a natural hostility. And that's what I want us to see to begin with. And here's the, here's the end result. He will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Well, I've stubbed my toe, I've, broke, I've hurt my heel. That's not fatal. But he's talking about a fatal blow to the head. So what he's, God is announcing here is I'm going to send my son and he is going to destroy your authority, the head. You're going to hurt him in the process but he's going to destroy your head. But notice that what I'd never quite seen before. There's enmity between your descendants, the ones you've spawned through Adam, and the ones that's going to come through him. So when we're born into this world, we're born of the seed of Adam, and we're born with an automatic, automatic rebellion against God. Oh, you could have been an older boy in church. This is how religion deceives us. You could, have been all, you could have gone to Mass every day. You could have given away everything you have. You could have had no unpure word ever come out of your mouth. I know of a well-known minister who was raised, in, not in the Catholic Church, in another denomination, who, who, who never, he never did anything bad. So he thought he was pretty good. Until in a vision he saw how prideful he was and how the fact that he'd never done anything wrong. We were born into that. So you may have been... See, I was a good sinner. That doesn't mean I sinned well. That means I was a good person, but I still, was still a sinner. Why? Because we were still in rebellion against God. But then when Christ comes, He wins back the authority. He establishes a new line of authority because He comes as the second Adam. And where the first Adam disobeyed, this is Romans 5, the second Adam was obedient. And so when we are brought into Christ through faith in Him, we're brought into His, brought into His obedience, His line of authority. And that means we now change families. Colossians puts it this way, Colossians 1.13, You have been delivered from the dominion, the authority, the power of darkness, the seed of Adam, and you've been transferred over into the kingdom of God's dear Son. You've changed families, kingdoms, and identity. So now we stand in the same place that God the Son does, 
and God the Father does. So the world's going to look at you the same way they look at Him. So there's a natural opposition now. It's kind of as this, Jerry Seville did this one time. It's as if, you know, your whole life you're floating downstream in a canoe. And somehow you get the word that the end of this stream isn't good. It's going over a waterfall and you decide to turn your canoe around. That's what the word repent means. But now everything that you've now been, that's been now been flowing with you now is flowing against you to try to push you still over that waterfall edge. So you're fighting against everything because everything in this world is pushing you the wrong way. So there's a natural hostility. This is kind of laying a foundation. Jesus' person, His righteousness, and His purpose, and His ways are totally opposite to the world's established ways, which are controlled by Satan. John chapter 3, Jesus explains this so well here. I mean, we all know John chapter 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But He goes on to say that God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And then He says this, verse 18. And this is the condemnation. So He's just said, God loves us so much, He sent His Son to bear our condemnation. He didn't come to condemn us, but He came that we might be saved. But now he says, and this is the condemnation, that the light, so this is where the condemnation is, that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light. So the contrast here is between light and darkness. Now I know none of you were ever in a bar. But if you can remember way back in those days, did you ever go into a bar that was just full of light? Just light? I don't mean this thing's going around like this. I mean light. So everybody could see who's in the back corner with somebody that maybe they're not married with. See, they're all dark. Why? Because they want, there's something they don't want to even see about themselves. And he says, the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. Next verse. For everyone who practices evil hates the light. And we know Jesus is the light of the world. And does not come to the light lest their deeds should be exposed. Verse 21. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may clearly be seen that they have been done in God. After these things, Jesus and His disciples came into the land of Judea where He remained and baptized them. Is that it? Okay. So what, what, Jesus, what John is saying here is this natural animosity comes because Jesus brings into the world a convicting light, the truth. And people don't want to face the truth because the truth will convict them of where they are. This is, very simply, this is why the world's trying to get rid of God. Because if there is a God, then somewhere down the line, I may have to face Him. 
And if I have to face him then, I may have to face where I am now, and that makes me uncomfortable. So instead of changing the way I am, I want to get rid of God, because if I get rid of God, then I don't have to deal, I can do what I want to do. Remember the story of the emperor who had no clothes? Everybody agreed the emperor had no clothes until one child stood up and says, Hey, he's naked! So if Satan can get us all to believe there's no God, then we can feel comfortable about what we're doing, and therefore he can have his control over our lives. Because it's the fear of God that delivers a man. That's all through Proverbs. We don't want to hear a lot about fear of God anymore. It's the grace of God, the love of God, but, the, but the, you can't separate the grace of God from the fear of God, of who God is. So we want to get rid of that. Now, here comes Jesus, who stands in front of them as the truth. And that convicts them. They don't like that. They want to get rid of Him. So as we're born into Christ, we stand in for Him because we are Christ in this world, because we're in Him, we represent Him, He's in us. So whatever they don't like about Him, they're not going to like about you and me, unless we don't reveal Him. Unless we just blend into the world. Unless we don't... See, Jesus put it this way. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A light contrasts with the darkness. A light confronts the darkness. Salt has a preservative feature to it. But a salt that gets into a wound, what does it do? Salt will help heal. But it stings when it hits you. I remember as a little boy, I'd get a cut. My mother would pull out iodine. (laughs) You're not putting that on me. It's like, (laughs) but it's good for you. But it hurts. But the hurt is what brings the healing. We don't want to hear that nowadays. He's telling them that because they are now in Him, the world will hate them as they hate Him. We've talked about this principle before, but because once you identify with Christ, with people, and they know you belong to Him, they no longer see you, but their response or their reaction to you is Him. You're sitting on an airplane, you know, and somebody says, well, you get talking with somebody, you say, well, well, what do you do? I'm a pastor. That doesn't threaten them. I believe in God. That doesn't threaten them. But the moment you mention Jesus, you can feel the results. Either they reject you, turn away, go to sleep, because they don't want to deal with Him, or they'll be open to hear who He is. I had a friend years ago had a church that was operating in the basement of a established denominational church, which was dying, by the way. And, 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 and they had, and they were growing faster than the, the, the church that owned the building. So they, they asked, can we move upstairs? And they let them do that. They said, but, but when you're done, make sure you take down all the banners that say Jesus. You can leave up the ones that say God. 
and love and hope and peace and joy, but anything that says Jesus, you've got to take down. Let you know where the issue is, doesn't it? All right. So let's get into this. Let's, go, let's look at another version of, of this, of this c- c- call. Let's look at Mark chapter 8, verse 31. Because there's a different word in here. And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and scribes, and be killed after three days rise again. Now there's elements in here we're going to look at. First of all, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer. Look at that word must. Must suffer. Must suffer. In order for Him to accomplish what God had sent Him here to do, to redeem us, the Son of God must suffer. There was no way around it. We talked Wednesday night in prayer a little bit about how in the garden, Jesus, the human part of Him, is wrestling with this. And He's saying, Father, is there any other way? Is there any other way we can do this without my going through this? And the answer was, the Son of Man must suffer. But notice there are three things in here, and they're in an order. He must suffer many things. Number two, he must be rejected by the elders and the chief priest, and then he must die, be killed. There are three things in there that are involved in what he went through, and we're going to look at the first one, suffer. When we accept our identity with Christ, the world will treat us as it treats him. Jesus suffered persecution because he represented his father and spoke for him. Most, mo- most people who persecute are sincere. Paul was sincere in his persecution. And I mention that so don't, don't get confused because somebody that's persecuting you is sincere. Because you can be sincere and wrong. <laughs> Sincerity is not a substitute for being correct. Now, you can't be correct and be insincere, but you can be sincere and be wrong. Every Saturday, there are people in your neighborhood walking around knocking on doors, and most of them are very sincere, but they're wrong. Persecution may involve the loss of your job. It may involve the loss of family relationships. A suffering means a loss of something that we're comfortable with, that we want because of this conflict. Jesus said, I quoted this a few weeks ago, Jesus said, I, didn't, I, I came with a sword. Sword divides. That will separate members of a family from one another. We know Jesus is love. He's commanded us to love one another. What does this mean? No, He's saying, by virtue of your dedication with me, it will cause separation. Because some people will not choose to follow me when you do. And you've got to choose. Are you following me or are you following your family? Are you following me or are you following your boss? I remember when our, young, our kids were in, in, at age to play ba- uh, Little League Baseball. And the coach announces that one of the, some of the games are on Sunday morning. Now what do I say to my kids who want to play baseball? I want to play baseball, but we go to church on Sunday morning. So, well, you know, you've got to let them grow. I wanted to teach them where the priority is. And I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here today. But when you allow sports to keep your children from church, you're telling them what's most important to you. And then we wonder, when they grow up and come out of teen church, why they don't join us in, quote-unquote, 
adult church because we've taught them what our priorities really are. But that's uncomfortable to tell my child that. Yeah, that's right. It's uncomfortable. That may be a cross I have to pick. My child may not like me right away. But you know, you're not called to have your children like you. When you stand before the Lord as a parent, He's not going to say, did your kids like you? Because if they liked you all the time, you probably weren't doing your job. That's another rabbit trail we can't go down. Bonhoeffer, in this book, Cost of Discipleships, puts it this way. Oh, this is so powerful. He says, when the church is unwilling to suffer with Christ, it's really Satan gaining entry into the church by tearing it away from the cross. When he says this, he's referring to Peter trying to talk Jesus out of going to the cross. He said that was Satan at the very beginning of the church trying to separate the church from the cross by saying, you don't need to go to the cross. There's another way you can do this. But if we're going to follow him, we have to follow him where he goes and where he went. 1 Peter chapter 4. Everybody okay? Yeah. We're going to put you back together. Remember, there's Easter Sunday where you rise from the dead. But you can't be raised from the dead if you don't die. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, don't think it a strange... This is a church... This is where believers going through a difficult time of persecution. Believers don't... Believe it, don't... <laughs> Beloved, do not think it strange concerning of the fiery trial that is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when His glory is revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. For if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you, and on their part He is blasphemed, but on your part, he's glorified. But look at this. This is what I want you to show you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, thief, evildoer, or busybody. I like that word busybody. In other people's bus business, basically. Stay out of their business. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. What Paul's saying, what Paul sa or Peter's saying here, is if, if you suffer for the sake of Christ because you belong to him and you stand up for him, you get the same glory he gets. But don't confuse your suffering with Him for your suffering because of something you did wrong. I was in church this Sunday and it was so good. And I got stopped for speeding on the way home. That's the devil persecuting me. No, it's because you sped and violated the law. The devil's after me. I got a ticket for, over, for, for not registering my car. No, you didn't register your car. <laughs> That's not, that's your suffering for being stupid. I don't know any other way to put it. Most of our suffering that we call suffering that's not a cross is something we've done. Ouch. The second thing, the first was suffering, then he said, but the Son of God must also experience Rejection. This gets better and better. <laughs> 
Now, that's an important difference because you can suffer and not be rejected. In fact, some people suffering, they become a martyr and they become lifted up and they get all kinds of attention because they've been suffering. But Jesus didn't just suffer. He was rejected. And here's why that's so difficult. Rejection strikes at the very core of who we are. Rejection strikes at the very core of our most basic need, which is to be accepted. And so the reason most of us struggle with publicly being identified with Christ is we're afraid of being rejected. But here's what happens. First, uh, Ephesians 1 verse 7 in the New King James says that you already are accepted in the Beloved. You've been accepted by God because you're in Christ. And so we have to choose between being accepted by God and being accepted by the world because you can't be accepted by both. And here's the problem. We've lived so much of our lives needing the, the acceptance of other people, needing the acceptance of one another, needing that acceptance to feed. First of all, even if you're a healthy person, you have a basic need for acceptance. But so many of us are messed up in one way or another. We need an extra amount of acceptance to fill in a hole that no person can fill. And so what solves your insecurity is when you stop trying to get that acceptance that you need filled by other people and you turn to the one who already has accepted you in Christ and can, He's the only one who can fill that void that's down inside of you. So there's this tension. The devil is always trying to tempt us to compromise our commitment to Christ by projecting that you'll lose the acceptance of your family and all these people that you need. Perhaps your standing with Christ might draw some of those people when they see how he, what He means to you and He's real enough to you to risk the relationship with them. When we pull back from this, we want the world to accept us and to turn from His acceptance. Now, there's a good, good news here. In the Bible, when people will stand and not compromise, and they'll stand and be identified in the Old Testament with God and the New Testament with Christ, and they suffer rejection, Christ always shows up in a stronger way in their life. I was thinking of the story in Daniel of three Hebrew children. Nebuchadnezzar, and I said, well, I don't, want to go into, I don't have time to go into the whole story, but Nebuchadnezzar was an absolute ruler. And he reaches this, he, 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 he gives an edict one day that to build this 90-foot image of himself. And he commands everybody in the land that when they hear the certain music playing, and that's another whole message, when you hear a certain music playing, you're to stop what you're doing and you're to bow down and to worship this idol. He knew who these Hebrew children were because they served him. They were governors for him. And they chose not, they chose to not bow down. Well, the word gets to Nebuchadnezzar. He calls them in. 
And he gives them another chance. He said, either you bow or you'll burn, basically. And they say, he said, if, if you'll bow, I'll deliver you. I won't, I won't throw you in the fire. And they say, even if you deliver us, we're not going to bow. And that made him even matter. So he had him heat the furnace up seven times hotter, so much so that the guys that heated it up, they burned up from the outside. And he binds them up. And he has them thrown in the fire. They're thrown in the fire because they would not bow to another god. They were willing to die because of their commitment to God. And Nebuchadnezzar has them open the window or whatever it was, and they look inside. And he says, wait a minute, I thought we threw three in there. There's a fourth in there. And they look closer and he says, that fourth one looks like it's the Son of God. Why? Because it was. Jesus showed up in the middle of the furnace when they were willing to stand for Him and they were willing to die because of their identification with Him. He shows up in the furnace. Not only that, their bonds, the only thing that burned on them were the bondages that had them. Maybe the reason we're still in bondage when we sing songs about being free because we're still standing with the world and we're not truly committed to stand with Him. Maybe when we cross over, we'll say, Lord, whatever it is, I belong to You. I'm willing to, to, to sacrifice whatever that means. I'm willing to put You first in my life above everything else. Maybe then the fire of His love will burn those bombs off. But we're trying to hold on to the world. We're trying to hold on to Satan because Satan is the God of this world. And we restrict the power of God in our lives. There's also a simple story in John chapter 9 where, where there's a, Jesus sees this young man who has been blind from birth and Jesus heals him. And he ends up in the temple and of course a huge commotion going on because everybody knows this guy's been blind from birth and they're asking him, he doesn't know even what's happened to him. He doesn't know who prayed over him. And they, they haul him into the temple and they said, you know, well, who did this to you? And he, he says, I, I don't know. I love this. He says, all I know is this. I was blind and now I can see. You figure out how it happened. So they bring his parents in because they want to confirm he was blind from birth. And they say, yeah, he's blind from birth. We don't know how it happened. So they bring the guy back in again and he's had it. He says, look, do you want to become his disciple also? And now they're mad at him because he's identified with Christ and they kick him out of the temple. But guess who shows up when they kick him out of the temple? Jesus comes to him personally. You want a closer relationship with him? Maybe we have to stand up and be willing to be rejected with him. He shows up and he talks to him Basically, he says, do you know who I am? He says, no, I've heard the Messiah. He, says, he reveals himself personally to this man as the Messiah, the Son of God. Where we go from here? We're going to go next week, and we're going to begin to look at, this is the first one, which is suffering. It's persecution. The first way we take up our cross is because, because we identify with Christ, we will, you will be persecuted. There are many scriptures in the Bible that, that don't say you might be, it says you will be, you will be persecuted. 
How many of you have that on your refrigerator as a promise? (laughs) But the second type of suffering we're going to talk about is the result of our relationship with one another. And then we'll talk about suffering in our relationship with God and what that means. The cross, excuse me, bearing the cross, not suffering. This was suffering this morning. But the good news is on the other side of it is newness of life. Jesus suffered on Friday, but he was raised to new life on Sunday. That new life is promised to us, but the reason we're not walking in the fullness of it is we haven't really gone through the part of taking up our cross. Remember, you have your own cross. And we'll talk more specifically about that next week. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that these are difficult and challenging things to us. But the things in our life they challenge are things you want to free us from. Self, flesh, pride, fears. You want to confront these things in our lives to free us from them so that we can walk in the true freedom that Jesus paid for. And so, Father, to do this, we can't do this in our own strength. We can't suffer in our own strength. We can't do perse- be perse- go through persecution in our own strength. We can't take up our cross in our own strength. We can only do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we prepare to go into this week, help us to recognize the opportunities in our life. Help us to recognize and discern the challenges in our life that are not a cross to bear from the challenges that you're calling us to bear. Give us discernment, Father. But most of all, as we do this together, help us to see Jesus in the midst of all of this. Help us to see Jesus. He's the one that's gone before us. He's the one that bore His cross for us. He's the one that's calling us to take up our cross for Him. And He is there through the Holy Spirit to help us and to enable us. And for this we give you thanks by faith in Jesus' name. We'll be closing the service in just a moment.